Perfection is good when you need to perform, but everything on its way there, it's fine. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me, yeah. Think, 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 let your mind... Welcome to the Creative Leadership Podcast. My name is Rod. And I'm Mark. And today we speak with Grant Davidson, Think Facilitator, about perfectionism, experimenting, and creating possibilities. Grant Davidson, tell us the story of your name. The surname Davidson is, has a, a Hebrew background, so it's son of David, but my roots come from Scotland, so somehow the transfer took place. And uh, Davidson was part of, funnily enough, the clan world in Scotland, but it belonged to the Macphersons, so where that tie-up is, I'm not quite sure either, but they kind of shared an allyship. I believe we have a castle somewhere in Scotland, but we're renowned for running away from wars as opposed to winning them. My, uh, my Christian name, its roots are in Grande, which is French for big, which bears no association at all with anything that I represent. But uh, the Grant was a Scottification of that name. And my mother and father called me Grant because it was unique in Scotland. Then we emigrated to New Zealand and every second child was called Grant. So there went the unicity. Well, that's, a bit, that's about it. <laughs> I'm a Dutchified Kiwi from Scottish roots, but who had the privilege of growing up in New Zealand. Uh, then I chose for industrial design as a direction, so I'm a trained industrial designer. In the meantime, because of all the experience that I've had, I've discovered that I'm an amorph being who represents a certain amount of business acumen, um, strategic big picture, you know, strategic marketing, how innovation works. So I would sell myself as someone who represents the innovative edge, creative strategies, and inspired coaching. It's a long title on a business card, but it's really nice. Well, my business card actually says Just Grant. And of course, the quip on that is it's highly scalable. <laughs> so why is it that you do what you do? And can you give us three short reasons? You want short? Bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've found a way to give back to younger people in a, in a meaningful way everything I've learned. I've found in the same way a way to regenerate my energy like I have never had it before. So it's like fountain of youth discovery. Um, and the other thing is that I am learning pretty much as much as I'm giving nowadays through doing what I'm doing at Think. That's why I do it. And now we get to choose one of those three reasons to ask a bit more about. Rod? I'm going to go with the second one. I'd love to hear more about the uh the fountain of youth concept, how, how that's rejuvenating you. Yeah, I don't want to tell too many people about this because then everyone will want to be here. Don't worry, no one's listening. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, every time I encounter a new class, first of all, they're all younger than me, at least if your recruitment has worked well, but they're all younger than me. So there's, there's an edge on the way they look at the world. And I'm realizing that they look in a different way than I do when I grew up. So my formative years mean I look at the world in a certain way. But they can help me shift my focus, shift my perspective, give me another point of view. And they're from industries which very often I've had nothing to do with. So it's 
the knowledge that you gain by working with these people and having to immerse yourself in what they do in order to be able to help them with the right questions is just that's that's the motivation that keeps me young keeps my brain active and i feel i leave here with more energy than i came so i don't know we're coming off of a a really interesting last few days uh so even though this podcast might go into eternity the time that it was recorded was just after we had a person named benjamin zander uh visit the school uh for the second time he's a conductor at the boston youth philharmonic uh, orchestra and uh, I'm curious if, if, if anything that happened in this, these past two days, the, the, the contact with him, uh, we went to his concert, but he was also here uh, speaking about it. It seems to, 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 to have a very similar message to what you just spoke about, rejuvenation. What, what was something you took from, from what he said, or what was your experience around that? Well, partly, first of all, you have to recognize his age and experience. So he's, he's got a 20-year head start on me. And I, so one of, part of me was saying, I really hope that I'm as energetic and influential and as, as radiant as he is when I'm 20 years further than this. The other one was, it's kind of a confirmation of a number of choices that I've already made. So this idea of the realm of opportunity and, and possibilities as opposed to the negative spiral, I realized that that's inherent in me. Not to go there, but to think in terms of what's possible. And I tend to do that in daily life with the family, with, with coaches is turn it around, so flip it, Re mini reframes all the time to look for the opportunity. And then there was the absolute magnetism with which he brought it, and the passion and the, the depth and the caring which he exuded was just infectious, and I could have listened to that all night. I love to be a lot more like him. And then going to the concert after his explanation of how this came about, and the the dedication that has, that has been put into it and his explanation during the concert just made the thing come up to come to life and I had the opportunity to sneak up into the balcony without telling anybody and I got a 3D sound of, of this concert at Mahler and I have never enjoyed a symphony orchestra that much just purely because you knew more about how it happened so yeah great experience and what was it that, um, after that, is there now something that you think you're going to do different? I think the image of the downward spiral and the, the realm of possibilities, that image is so ingrained now in my eyes that I will refer to that in a much, much stronger way. And uh, what made it, if you say, I'm... I'm usually very much in the realm of possibility. I am usually the one who's, who finds it easier to reframe negatives into positives. What made that come about? Um, looking back, I'd say that someone who chooses for design, truly, and so I didn't know about design until someone put a, a flyer in front of me and said, maybe this is something for you. Because I was looking for either civil engineering or architecture or stage building as where I could work. But this was like on target, in the bullseye. And the more I took it, I realized my DNA is about going into somewhere with a blank piece of paper and being totally open to the problem of the other. And then, so it's empathy with and immersion into the other person's situation. 
and trying to come up with solutions. Now, you learn on the way, you don't run to solutions, you actually take more time to investigate and understand. But that's what made me more of a realm of possibilities person than a, than a downward spiral person. Do you have a, an internal uh, monologue that, um, that while you're in conversation with someone, maybe a part of you wants to already propose a solution? Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And what um, does it sound I'm, like? And I'm biting my lip. I said, you know, let, let, the, let the conversation end. Then find a way to ask the powerful question. So it is, it's, it, I mean, like you and, and, and Mark, it's, there's all sorts of conversations going on in your mind and, and a lot of it would be the wrong thing to say at that moment. It's a bit like um, the story we heard about child psychology and the effect of breaking their play cycle earlier. So you end up, you end up sending them back into their shell. And equally, that's true for adults. And there's a, there's a certain hunger to be able to sketch a context and be understood. And unless you let that play out, you will be the opinion haver. haver. You know, you'll be the one who's interjected and thinks they know better. And I try to avoid that. But it's not without effort. <laughs> and how do you come up with a powerful question? Just thinking on your feet. And there's, there's another... I mean, this is what thinkers actually helped me crystallize more than I had perhaps at Philips Design. Because you, you're conditioned in the corporate setting to either expect certain things because they're at hands, they're at arm's length, and you call on them. There's a certain pact between functions where you kind of don't say no, but you're looking for the business case to go with it. And uh, there's a hierarchy with which you, you respectfully formulate. <laughs> yeah. The older you get, the less the hierarchy means. But here at Think, because of the encouraged environment of openness, Crystallizing the art of powerful questions is there's, there's not so much a formula to it, but there's, there's the openness and the will for someone else to discover the truth themselves. So you don't need to be the smartest person in the room. And then it's a question of how quickly you can sponge up the context, their true problems, you need to sometimes to drill in. But the context, the true problem, and even try and gauge their personality. So how explorative are they? Or how ready are they just to receive? Are they really in a crisis? Or are they somewhere they can climb out? And that's how you formulate your question. And that's just, it's a gut. But it's the, the, this environment encourages it, and therefore I've been able to show. I, I don't know if a lot of people know this about you, but you are a classical musician. You have competed in competitions uh, and have done quite well. Uh, you play classical guitar Correct. and various other guitar-like string instruments. Yeah. Um, has, has that affected any of your uh, career choices? Has that affected the way you, by knowing classical music the way you do, does that in any way influence your own creativity uh, within the corporate environment you were, you were part of for so long or here at Think? No, I would say that it's been a symptomatic thing which has run parallel. So if you look at how I played guitar over the years, you'd say, no, I can understand that next to how you developed as a person. And so classic guitar was kind of the natural thing for me to do. My family liked classic music. My mother was a piano player with classic background. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I enjoyed also the discipline of getting it right. So I'm a 
perfectionist at heart. And I really like to perform, but I like to get it absolutely plug-and-play perfect. So this classic guitar, regimented, written down, the rules are clear, and I was, it was up to your personal ability and then your expression, and this is what got me into the competitions and doing well, was the expression you could put into it. So that's my added value. And as I went through my career, I'd say that going into folk guitar loosened me up and doing you know, pop music and folk music, either as dine and dance uh, at a restaurant or in an in a amateur cover band, and then coming to Holland using music to kind of break down the, the language barrier and pick up singing and guitar in a band. Um, it has a different regimen, it had a different uh, intent. It was more about um, meeting people, so opening yourself up. It's when I left home or left New Zealand. And just recently I've been picking up electric guitar, solo guitar, and playing all of the solos that I never dared when I was kept to that strict regime of classic guitar and therefore thought I wasn't capable of doing and now I'm just relishing in, in exploring electric guitar and styles so it's a little bit like think at home. So was that a wrong assumption that you couldn't do it? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? Um, I think it, it comes from the perfectionism, afraid, afraid of making mistakes. Mm. Yeah. So when I, was, when I was behind the guitar or as Know, doing design at Philips when I first arrived there, I was looking around, so what, what are the norms? And then complying with it and then putting my expression on top of it, and that was what's making the difference. Whereas now I'm prepared to even say, let's throw the norms out of the window and rethink this thing. So we have, um, we have a little document, I think it's called The Way We Work, and there's all these tensions in there. And one is, we strive for perfection. Well, we know that we're always in beta. Um, so this resonates a lot with me. And I think, I'm thinking, um, what are practicals, what practical places or moments where you feel that these things really start to compete? Where you feel that we're, on the one hand, we wanna serve amazingly well and deliver a product that's stellar and outstanding. And on the other hand, um, we're still innovating and trying to get things right. Um, well, first, first of all, on a personal note, so my own journey was to tussle with, do I have enough knowledge of the content and the way of working of Think to actually stand in front of a group of people and pull it off, to be convincing? And I realized that's just taken time. You can't speed that up more than your brain can take. But the more I've got used to it, then it starts to loosen up and it becomes innovative on the spot. So you have to be so athletic to sense the room and understand what the needs are and adapt that fortunately the modularity of the thing content allows that. I mean, you, you can pull in so much, you can redirect or you can add a little bit of source and then discuss it afterwards. So it's not about you know asking for permission or, or forgiveness but it's about registering the change or the experiment. Um, as then on the, the bigger note, I'd say that I can see and feel the dilemma of needing to institutionalize something so that it's repeatable. On the other hand, keep stead with a societal change in which think could play a huge role and therefore needs to evolve. 
So there's the, the, the need and the urge to innovate on one side, and the other one is to codify and make repeatable what's working. It's not a dilemma which is strange to any company, but that's what I can feel and I'd love to be a contributing factor in helping that forward. I know that you've been involved in co-creating uh, articles about leadership yeah. and just definition of creative leadership. I'm curious, what is your current take on it? Um, I think the key when I was doing this, because I didn't know what the definition would be, I had an inkling, and then talking with Menno to start with, but then everybody in Think to kind of gauge where Think is and where it's going and what differentiates it from other things. And to me, in the whole chain of leadership typologies through the years, it's been maturing very nicely, but the big change between something like situational leadership and creative leadership is that creative leadership is the first one defined as, as outward-oriented, as opposed to inward-oriented to a group of captive people. So there is all sorts of... Uh, uh, ways of generating a bigger picture, more ethics, more moral connection, but within organizations, and creative leadership actually flips that. So it's an outward orientation as opposed to an inward orientation. And what does that, what does it mean for people who come into the program or people who you mentor? Um, what are the biggest differences that, or the things they need to let go of? the things they need to adopt. Thinking that they're, they need to be the smartest person in the room. So it's, it's the good thing about the program, and it's something that we have to discuss as to what form does it take from now on, having had a few lessons in the last couple of classes, is that the group work is actually quite fundamental to the program. So finding a way of including group work with a meaningful topic along with their individual track, you should not lose that. And it's the fact of, oh goodness, look at the competence in the room, look at the breadth of the network, look at the kind of leadership issues that I ran into just by working with a group of three on something that we might know little about. You know, that, that, these are all worth gold. And I think that what we're, what we're not lacking too much is their personal drive and very often their mission stands. The vehicle that they bring in, I'd say 50% of the time, flips. So we've just got to cope with that. And the group work brings them together in a way which they probably have never encountered. But it's a safe way of doing it because they're all halfway through at the top of their game. They're mid-career professionals, which I think is a good moment to pick them for Think as a program. And then with all these learnings, what would you say to your... 40-year younger self. So if I was able to write a letter to myself, it would be indeed to impart some of, let's call it wisdom or life experience, just to kind of give someone a fair head start. You know, so don't get worried about this, don't get worried about that, but just relax and think in terms of possibilities. Perfection is good when you need to perform, but everything on its way there, it's fine. It's fine. You can make mistakes, and you can, you know. So the the, the it, it, you know how fascinating is a brilliant lesson. Uh, that would be my main. That'd be the, the big part of the epistle. 
and uh, since we're going a bit into the past, uh, so so we actually use you, your story around the uh, MRI machine at uh, uh, as 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 an anecdote, uh, getting people ready to uh, create a creative question. And I'm curious. Uh, one of the elements of the story is that you, uh, together with your team at Philips, went out and did some sensing work around what was needed. Did you call it sensing? What was what was it like in those days? No, it, it wasn't called sensing, but really that's semantics. So the way it's defined here is exactly what it was at Philips. Only it had to be not watertight, but totally robust because you, you're, you're basing massive business decisions on this. So if you talk about stakeholder engagement, you talk about user empathy, you talk about user portrait, all of that happened synchronously for every stakeholder in that game. So in the case of the MRI, it was patients, loved ones, it was the kids, it was the radiology specialists, it was the nursing staff, it was the administration, it was the hospital management. And they all have their interests. And unless you have the diligence to actually map that out, you will miss half of it. So you're looking for where does, where does communication break down? Where do interests start to conflict with each other? And you can only do that by diligent research. Call it sensing. It has many phases. It can be totally quantitative. But most of what we did was qualitative in following people, getting them to write homework, then checking indeed if they did what they said. So it's all the models that we've got here, all at once. Is that your favorite uh, tool that we uh, that we teach here? I think. Which one was that? The one that that that, that starts with your anecdote. <laughs> Which is a long way around saying, "What is your favorite tool?" <laughs> Uh, the one which had the most power for me coming here was Reframe. Because uh, it kind of, it suddenly made repeatable what I was doing implicitly. What's part of my character is to think laterally and joke and make humor and, you know, look for the extremities. But to actually navigate anybody through that process, make it enjoyable, and then they go, oh, wow. Hadn't thought of it that way. It's just, it's a transformational experience. There is structure, structure in the madness. Yeah. Both in your example of sensing and yeah. doing your diligent homework, as in coming up with a reframe belief. Yeah. Which is my bridge to our structure in the madness, which is our lightning round. So our first question is whether you have any recommendation of any type of cultural experience. Uh, it could be a museum, book that meant a lot to you, a movie, music of any sort, something that you would recommend for someone listening to this. There are two, two extremities which come to mind. One was the, the Drift exhibit at Stabler, which I thought, if you consider that long enough, either you go crazy, <laughs> so it challenges your ethical barriers, or it gives you such inspiration that it brings you to another plateau. So that kind of work, I think, is tremendous. So this is the uh, Drift uh, uh, Studio Drift exhibit at the State Lake Museum, which is going on until the end of August 2018. 2018. And the second one is, um, it's the final day, the final evening concert of hardcore festivals. <laughs>
for uh, you know, beaty music. And I like all sorts of music. But the way that this is in the scene, and it's against the backdrop of a wonderful set with the lighting that you wouldn't believe, and smoke effects, and the sound system, that I find that I, I could lose myself in that. I could be one of the people in the audience, and I'm actually thinking, well, maybe I should go to one of these. But the mix of that music, the atmosphere, the intent, also what they're trying to get this feeling of community. And it's expressed through this rather outlandish music that it all fits. And I've been totally mesmerized looking at films of this stuff. How about daily practices? Things you do on a regular interval that help you? I say I love you a lot to those around me. Uh, because my mother and father were built that way, my father certainly was, he's the epitome of gratitude. So I think that's formed me. So I'm always thankful. So I never miss an opportunity to thank someone for either going out of their way or just a little less effort, you know, recognize it and, and acknowledge it. And it also <laughs> works reciprocally because you feel better when you've done that. Um, and then it's, again, positive thinking, perhaps the wrong word, but it's this idea of the realm of possibility. So I'm continuously, if I overhear something, I said, oh, but you could. <laughs> well, it's just heightening me to be ready to engage in such a, com such a conversation. It's, it's almost, it's built in there. And that, it does affect the way you unpack your bag, the way you look into your computer, the way that you organize things, the, the way you pick up a telephone. It's, it's all based on that. Thank you very much, Grant. It's a pleasure. This has been the Creative Leadership Podcast. My name is Rod. And my name is Mark. Thanks for listening. I didn't even know you came to me and told me what you're doing.